You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 5? Romans 5 is going to be our text for today. Uh, We have 11 verses to get through, and I believe by God's grace, uh, it is going to be good for our souls, uh, as it always is when we journey through God's Word. As you were turning there, you notice, uh, if you are new with us today, or maybe you weren't here last week, there is a new addition to our stage, uh, and it is an Advent wreath. And just a reminder um, of what an Advent wreath is. It is uh, a group of candles, five specifically, um, that, that we will begin to light in a series leading up towards Christmas Day. Uh, And I hope and pray, and and while we're on that subject, that Christmas Day, if you would be able to find it in time and schedule and space for you and your family, that you would join us here in this room uh, at 9.30 on Christmas Day for that worship service. But as we lead up to that, there are four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, and it's on those four Sundays that we celebrate a different theme of Advent. Advent is this idea of, of waiting with great anticipation the arrival of something or someone. Now, for us, that, uh, that someone is really important to our faith. Matter of fact, central to our faith. It is Christ. We live right now in, in this place. We live in right now and not yet. We're going to talk about that even in the sermon today. But we live in the joy that Christ brings to us today. But we are also waiting the fulfillment of that great joy in the days ahead when Christ returns. And so as we move closer to Advent, we have joy in all things. The fact that God knows us and we are known by him. Salvation, fellowship, our purpose, passion and rest, and a thousand more things. But the greatest joy I pray that you've experienced, Christian, in your entire life is the fact that you belong forevermore to God the Father because of what Christ the Son has done on your behalf. That is what we hope for. That is what our joy is in. And as we continue to journey towards the celebration of the coming of our Savior, as we mark that on Christmas Day, we will continue to remember an Advent and wait with great anticipation the return of our King. Now, speaking of great joy, guys, we've journeyed through some hard stuff in Romans so far. If you've been with us from the beginning of this study, you know that there have been some days that almost you want to crawl under a rock and say, is he done yet? Is it over? Are we to the good stuff? Well, my friends, we are indeed in the good stuff. Uh, Going back, even back to chapter 3, we have chapter 3 and chapter 4 where the apostle Paul is writing to this church at Rome. Remember, it is a church that's divided. Divided on on lines of background and where they come from. You have Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other, and they are coming back together and they're finding it hard to have commonality. And so Paul is going to give to them, again, in way of reminder in this letter, the only thing that can take a fractured group of people and bring them back together. It will not be greater knowledge in the other one's background or history. It will not be a try hard or do better. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that he offers to them. And what he is going to say is it will be that gospel that will heal, that gospel that will sustain, and it will be that gospel that propels you into the work that he's calling you to do. Now, all that being said, it's time for us to jump in to Romans chapter 5 today. It is loaded with great things, okay? So let's start in verse 1, Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so, so Paul begins this section with a therefore, meaning that what is about to follow is some sort of instruction or application or both at the same time from the truth given in the previous section. Again, going back, you have chapters 3 and 4. How are we justified? Well, you're justified by grace through faith. You were justified through Christ alone, okay? So, so because of that being true, there's now some good stuff that's ahead of us. The truth in view here is that our justification by faith is something that is not just an addition to the Christian life. It is the Christian's life. It is where we find our hope. It's where we find our joy. It's where we find our peace. It's where we find our existing purpose in the justification, in our salvation, that Christ has bought on our behalf. So the first thing he says is this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, church, listen, there's so much here. And, and I know we don't have a ton of time, and I don't, I don't want us to be rushed through this. And so I pray, I pray as now as I've prayed all week long that the Lord would help me make this as clear as I can and help us uh, be able to understand this in the way that is going to be beneficial for us. So, so here we go. Before God justified us, like, and that word justified, you could, you could equally interchange that with sal salvation, okay? Before God saved us by grace, it wasn't just that we were people who were lost. It wasn't like we were just morally neutral people existing in this world, hopelessly walking around not knowing where to go. Although those things are true, we were hopeless. Although those things were true, we didn't have any direction, but it was far darker than that. That's what Paul meant by writing the first two chapters. We, we weren't just lost. We were dead. We were dead in our sin, and we couldn't get out. The more we, we realized who we were, the more it became apparent that we had no power over our life. Matter of fact, there was something else causing us and driving us to do these things. Now, you're going to hear it this way, and you may call it something else, but for the fact that we use all the same language, it is this. We are born with a sin nature inside of us. It's the reason that we sin. It's the reason that inside of us that, that we desire to love God. Even still today, we desire to love God, but we still have a propensity to run back to the things we know we shouldn't do or desire or to be around. Sometimes it's even crazy this way, that we know God has freed us from something. We know that he has broke, literally, he's broken the shackles off of us. Now we may walk in freedom, and what do we do with our freedom but run back to the very thing he freed us from? It's the craziest thing. It's the nature of the broken person. And so as we look to the text today, Paul is going to give us clear instructions as to why we are the way we are, but the good news that's attached to the justification of Christ. So before God granted us justification, before we were saved, church, we were enemies of God. Our sin caused us to be separated from him. Our sin nature caused us to rebel and fight against him. This sin nature isn't something we picked up along the way. It is something we were born with. We were born with a sin nature 
that opposes God. And I, I just I want to say it again. That's probably the third way I've said that in the last 10 seconds. I just want you to understand. There, there, there's nobody, nobody who is just, man, maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Maybe they're morally okay. No, no. Everybody, everybody is marred by the effect of Genesis chapter 3. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. There's a sin nature inside of us that is constantly trying to rebel against God. And because that nature has been inside of us our entire life, listen to me, church, we have never experienced peace with God. That's why prior, you, prior to you coming to Christ, there has always been a tension in you to try to justify what you are doing or what you've done. There's that tendency in there that if you can't justify it well or you can't explain it away, another nature that we have because of our sin nature is to hide. When we mess up, we don't want people to see us for who we truly are, so we run and we hide or we try to act like everything is okay. Knowing at the core of who we are that, that we are broken beyond our own ability to fix ourselves. Now, I'm speaking in terms of prior to Christ. That's what Paul would be saying to them. He is trying to help them understand. Prior to you coming to Christ, prior to you getting salvation, prior to you being justified before the Father, this is who you were, and this is why you felt how you felt. But it's right there in our complete brokenness that God came to us he saw us completely and loved us fully and sent his son to atone for us, to change us, and to forgive us. That's the good news of the gospel. Because of Christ, and only because of Christ, church, we now have peace with God. No more do we have to hide we don't have to run anymore. We don't have to try to justify our actions. We don't have to act like everything is okay. All of the chaos that's inside of us in this sin nature and trying to run and hide and be God, we're trying to do these things and it makes this chaos real. And then God comes and speaks peace over our life and it is stilled. So the Jew doesn't have to hang on to their Jewish culture to believe that it's their work that gets them into heaven. The Gentile doesn't have to work on good morals or trying to be a good enough person or trying hard enough to make sure they do the right thing the right way to get into heaven. It all depends on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's still true for us today. That in the constant chaos and the turmoil of our life that is our soul, it's, it's in constant rebellion against God, that Christ comes in, atones for our sin, and speaks peace to it, and it stills. Paul goes on to explain it this way. Look at verse 2. Through him, Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right, so through Christ, we have obtained access. So, so, so he's done something for us. He's, he's granted us the ability to come in by faith. Don't forget that. He writes it again. Into grace in which we now stand. There's so much here just in verse 2. We could honestly just live here today, but we won't because we're, we're moving. But the fact that we see positionally we're already there. 
Positionally, it's already been given to the access is ours because of what Christ has done. We now stand today and forever in this grace. So here is a really important question. What is grace? Well, for many people, it's just a church word that we interchange with mercy. We'll say mercy and grace, grace and mercy. They're not the same thing. I think they're connected, but they're not the same thing. Mercy is this idea that you don't get what you deserve. The thief on the cross deserved wrath. He got mercy. But grace, grace is receiving God's unmerited favor, meaning we get something that we didn't earn. We didn't try for it. We didn't pay for it. We didn't act for it. This is something that God in himself, because of himself and his love, has given to us. Grace. All right, so when we look at this, through him, through Christ, we have obtained by, uh, we obtained access by faith into this grace of which we now stand. So through Christ, we've been given grace. Through Christ, we've been given grace, and that grace given to us by Christ causes us to rejoice, not just in our current state, although we, we want to celebrate that. To rejoice is, is a physical, it is, it is a verbal exaltation to who Christ is and what he's done. That is us when we sing, saying, yes, glory, we love you. That is rejoicing. Some of us do that in our hearts. I see you. Look, no doubt, this right here, Really, on the inside, you right here. I know, I know, I love you, I see you. Don't worry, we Baptists, but we're going to get there. I know in your heart you're rejoicing, and that's what counts. But why are we rejoicing? So, so for us, there's so many things that we rejoice for. Like today, if you think through what Christ has done on your behalf, the fact that he has given us access to this grace in which we now stand, we can think that in this holy hour, separated from the world, separated from life. We're safe in our seats. We're listening to this message. We're under the word, and we think, God, glory to your name. But do you know that the rejoicing and the glory goes far beyond this hour? Far beyond than just this, this moment where you feel safe from the outside world. This is built to take to the outside world. We rejoice in hope. Because now we get to be part in the best ways of God's glory. God's glory was coming regardless of what side you stood on, whether you were in rebellion or you were in his family. The glory of God was coming. But what side you were on matters. To the enemy of God, the glory of God is terrifying. To the son or daughter of God, the glory of God is life. And our response to salvation isn't just a future rejoicing. It's not just something that we we think, okay, one day I'm going to breathe my last breath here and I'm going to breathe my first breath in eternity and that's when I'll rejoice. No, no, that rejoicing is in the here and now. No matter the circumstances we find ourselves in today. Look at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. All right, so right now we live on this side of eternity. Whether you're a believer or not, this side of eternity is hard. Whether you're a believer or not, this side of eternity is broken and it's filled with suffering. 
It would be easy for us to say, yes, I am justified before the Father, and this world is too hard, and I can't wait to go home, and so you go back into your house, you shut the door, close the windows, and you just wait till you get to go home to be in glory. That's going to be a great day, no doubt, but Christian, God has redeemed you for the here and now, for today, in the midst of your hardest hour. Why in the world, though? would Paul tell us to rejoice in suffering? Don't miss this. Because it is through suffering that God molds his children. You read it from Genesis to Revelation. It is in the entirety of this book that God has trusted to us that he will show us that he sees us, he knows us, he loves us, and he's got us. That doesn't mean that we are going to be safe from trials. Matter of fact, we are going to get a more larger portion of those trials. But we shouldn't find them strange when they come. And listen to me, we shouldn't cause us to despair when they come. Because it's through those trials that God is doing something in us. Something that's going to bring him glory. And something that's going to be good for the world. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in that. We rejoice in our sufferings. Here's why. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Well, what is endurance? It's the ability to remain steady under difficult circumstances. That's what endurance is. Verse verse 4, that's what it says. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. All right, so, so this endurance, this, this, the ability to remain steady under difficult circumstances, it is doing something in us, and it is building character in us. What does biblical character look like? Here would be a definition for us. It is character that allows us to examine in a way that we find out what the true substance is. And so if we follow that that logic through this this cascade that the Apostle Paul is writing, it is our suffering that produces endurance that is going to show who we truly are. That character, that, that who we truly are, is going to then produce hope. Hope is a forward look at the good, the pure, and the right. And hope, verse 5, does not put us to shame. Maybe let me help you hear it a different way, and this is how I've preached it to my own heart even this week in midst trials. If God only let us have good days, what I mean by that, no trial, no affliction, no pain, no struggling, no suffering. If we only had that, because of our sin nature, because of our current state, we would rely on us more than him. And if that goes on too long, we'll begin to believe that all of this good and great is because of who we are and what we've done. But it is through the suffering that God, listen, sovereignly allows us to walk. Do not believe for one second that God is flippant with the suffering he's trusted to you. God has never once given you a trial that he says, whoo, I hope it works out for him. This may sound outlandish to you. But God and his sovereignty has allowed all the suffering that you've ever faced to happen. I do not mean to say that he caused the pain that you've gone through. But I know as I read the scripture that he is sovereign over all. 
and what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. So if you're here today and you find yourself in a, in a short season of, of suffering or maybe even a longer season of suffering or a life of suffering, don't miss the fact that what Paul is saying here is that suffering is not to be wasted. It is to be rejoiced in because it is doing something in us that's going to bring him glory. And it's going to bring us good. That hope does not put us to shame, verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All right? So that hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. That forward look, that great anticipation for what's to come will not put us to shame. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God guards it. Oh, church, this is incredible stuff. Listen to what Paul has to say in verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God has shown his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All right, you hear me say, you hear us say all the time that we don't do anything in order to be saved. We don't bring anything to the table of salvation except the need to be saved. Paul is explaining that to the Roman church and to us through this text. While you were still weak, while you were still an enemy of God, at the right time, Christ died for us. You may be here today and and you know, you know without a shadow of a doubt, you are an enemy to God. And here's the lie that you were tempted to believe. That you've messed up too much. That you are currently too deep in sin for God to ever love you again. Please do not listen to that lie. This verse is telling you the truth. That's how, that's how we know God loves us. We don't have to fix ourselves and then he saves us. That's not what it says. He offers salvation to us while we are in the fullness of our sinful condition. I know a lot of times we, we don't think maybe deeply about our spiritual state prior to coming to Christ because those are dark days. We would rather think of the good. But listen, if we don't nail down the fact that you did nothing, nothing, you didn't, you didn't do anything for God to look down from heaven and say, I need you in my family. If you start to believe that, listen to me, then your whole identity in Christ is centered around you and what you've done. That's dangerous. That's dangerous theologically, but more so, that's dangerous in your everyday life because the moment you fail and you will, you begin to think that your life is now crumbling and God can't love you because you didn't keep your promise to never do it again. God is the promise maker and God is the promise keeper. He saw you in your sin and still chose to love you anyway. We have to nail that down, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Look at verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. All right, remember propitiation and expiation. Some of you are like, I, I tried to forget. Stop saying those words. I get it. 
Propitiation, Christ going to the Father on our behalf to atone for our sin. Expiation, the effect that happens when our sin is forgiven as far as the east is from the west. The fact that we now stand in right relationship with the Father is only happening because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But Paul, in this passage, in in verse 9, uses words of measurement. Here's what they say. Much more shall we. And for you, like, it doesn't sound like measuring words. But when you read it, it is is measuring. It's saying this is is effectively this long, so this one must be exponentially bigger. So let's work through this. Paul spends all of chapters 3 and 4 telling us of our complete justification before the Father. Because he understands us because he loves us, because he will speak to the quiet questions that are in our hearts. Here are some of those questions that are in my heart, that potentially they're in your hearts as well. Can God really save me? If he can, here's another question that's maybe even deeper to your soul. Will he? Because if I were him, I probably wouldn't. Knowing what I know about me, knowing the condition of my heart, knowing what my, my, my heart and mind desire, I wouldn't if I were him. I've done too much. Uh, maybe, maybe this is you. Others may can uh, obtain that salvation. Others may be offered that because they're good people, but God knows me. I heard you preachers say he knows me fully, and I believe that. So if that's the case, no way, no way he can forgive me for what I've done. No way he can atone for that mistake or that life that I lived. Here's what Paul is saying. If our justification is complete, if we are no longer enemies of God, then we are completely saved from his wrath. If Christ has gone to the Father and done the work of justification on our behalf, which he has, then that means there is no more wrath to pour out. You could go back, maybe I think it was this past Easter we talked about it, but in the Old Testament you hear a lot about the cup. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, the cup is filled with something and it's usually bitter and it points to the wrath of God. You remember when Jesus was in the garden? right before he's about to be arrested. Do you remember the prayer he prays to the Father? If there be any other way, let this what pass from me? The cup. What do you think was in that cup? It was the full wrath that was due for us. And so when Christ goes to the cross... There is no other way, and the son is submissive to the father, and he drinks the cup. And then one of his last words on the cross before he commends his spirit to the father is this, to day. The, the one word in the Greek is this, it is finished. What? Drinking the complete wrath that was in store for us. So what Paul would say is this, If you believe that he went to the Father and justified you, you can rest assured that the wrath of the Father is satisfied. So any need to hide, any need to run, any need to justify, we lay that down in submission to what Christ has done on our behalf. Paul says it this way in verse 10. For if 
while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So so if Christ goes to the Father on our behalf on that day long ago, and we are now free for eternity from the wrath of God, how much more are we saved today to live for God? This rejoicing isn't just a a future rejoicing because we get to go to heaven. That's great. We rejoice in that. Oh, but church, if we're not rejoicing today because we get to live for him, we're missing out on the Christian life. Verse 11 says this, even more than that. I couldn't even believe there's more. (laughs) Even more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. All right. So our worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to move into this response time, but I want, you to, I want you to hear this. Because of Christ, we rejoice in so many different things, and it's right for us to do that, church. Don't, don't, don't hear me belittle any of it. All of this should be the highest of priority. We rejoice in the grace extended to us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that's to come. We rejoice in the forgiveness that God has extended to us through his son. We rejoice in the atonement that Christ has made on our behalf. We rejoice in those and a thousand other things. But do you know, Christian, what we are to rejoice in the most? We are called to rejoice in God above all things. If you go back, and and we won't for the sake of time, but if you go back to Romans chapter 1, the big rub that, that, that caused in their sin nature, what they did, is they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they began to worship the creature and not the, what? The creator. So they began to take all the things that he gave them and think that those were the greatest. Christian, let me explain it to us this way. The worst thing we could do is begin to worship all the things that God has given to us and forget to worship him. Our life is to be lived in response to his goodness and his faithfulness to us. All of those things are right. To wake up every morning and to praise God for salvation, to praise God for health, to praise God for all things. That is good and right. But if we do all of that and miss the fact that we are praising God, then we are broken in our worship. We are called to worship him and him alone. Let us not become twisted in our worship. We we thank God for his goodness, but we worship him. He gets glory. He gets honor. He gets praise. At the end of time, when we are in glory, we will not worship salvation. We will not worship justification propitiation or expiation you will worship God we will worship him forevermore if he will be our focus for eternity he should be our focus today because he is the one who sent his son to die that we may live 
He is the one to be worshipped. Here, one, one last scripture. You can write this down. It won't be on the screen. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is the hope of our glory. That is the centrality of our faith. And as we stand here today, church family, I just simply want to be a chief reminder to you today and every day that we get a chance to be together. God knows you. He loves you. He sees you. He has made a way for you to be made right with him. You can't do it on your own. That, that whole war inside of you, you are an enemy to him. So you're going to try to fight and you're going to try to run, but to no avail. So the question will now become, what do you do? For all those who've called on his name are saved. For all of those who put their hope and trust in Christ, they are born again. And church, that invitation is for you as well. If you've not done that today, be that day. But if, you've ha- but if you have done that, if that is your story, if that is your song, in the same way that we have sung already this morning, and I pray that that resonates in your hearts and minds all week, that we will spend the rest of our lives praising our Savior all the day long. For that is who we are, and that is what we will do. Church, would you pray with me as we move into a response time? Oh, Father, I do love you. Thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of faith family. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Lord, I ask now that as we move into this invitation time that you would speak clearly to our hearts on what we are to do in response to what we've just heard. God, for those in this room who know that they are an enemy of God, I pray that today would be the day that they come and confess faith a desperate need to to repent of sin and trust you with their life, God, that you may redeem and restore. And God, for the believers in this room, I pray it would be resolved even more so in this moment right now that when we leave this place with every breath that we have left, we will proclaim your story. We will sing your song as we worship you and praise you all the day long. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?